This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week television podcast. My name's James Manning. I'm the editor of Media Week. Joining me, as he does for every one of our TV podcasts, Andrew Mercado. Welcome back. Hi, James. How are you? Very well, thank you. Very well. Listen, Andrew, it's uh, not too far from where you are these days. The Commonwealth Games opening ceremony. Um, How much of it did you sit through? I watched the whole thing from start to finish. I felt I had to, James. It's it's my neck of the woods up there. I grew up in Brisbane and the Gold Coast, and I was at the opening ceremony of the Brisbane Commonwealth Games. And oh, wow. so I just kind of, you know, I've, I've always loved the Gold Coast, so I watched it from start to finish. And so obviously I've got a biased opinion of it all because I wanted to like it and I did like it. But, uh, of course, in today's social media age, everybody has an opinion, James. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they weren't all positive, were they? No, they weren't. And, you know, I, I, I particularly uh, giggle inside at Alan Jones' thundering on his radio show this morning that there was too much Aboriginal content and why wasn't the beach culture of the Gold Coast included? Uh, It's funny, I thought I did see the beach culture included in a massive section in the middle. And I also think that you need to look at that opening ceremony from start to finish because there was actually a kind of a giant link between the beginning and the end that was also paying homage, I reckon, to the great memorable moment from the Brisbane opening ceremony, which was that giant Matilda kangaroo coming out and all those little school kids as joeys coming out of its pouch, you know, and we're past that point now where we have giant animals on wheels that do something hokey like that. But that thing where they brought out Mingaloo, the white whale at the end, and tied it into the Indigenous mythology that they had started at the beginning with the ocean and the water. I thought it was beautiful and I loved the way that whale came out and and did kind of do that. Um, that was kind of around the time that Delta Goodrum was singing. I think she was dressed as a, as a jellyfish, was she, James? I couldn't quite figure out <laughs> her look. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what she had on, but I thought she was pretty good, though. Yeah, she was great. She always uh, performs well, and I love that they had Ricky Lee Coulter in there because Ricky Lee grew up on the Gold Coast, and I love that they had some Brisbane performers in there. I thought it was there were a lot of really great ideas in there, a lot of things going on. It's very easy to sit at home and criticise that and say it's cheesy and whatever. But, you know, at first when I was listening to that kind of high school band playing the athletes out, I was going, what is this dreadful um, orchestral music accompaniment? And then it clicked, oh, hang on, they're playing Australian classic songs. And they'd even worked in a bit of a Jamaican beat to one of the songs when those countries came out. So I actually think that there was a lot of thought put into it. And if you break it down and look at what they were doing, I reckon it was fantastic. Yeah, I've got to say, I, I agree with most of what you said there. I, um, yeah, there was plenty of beach culture. I think there was some right at the start, fair bit in the middle, and then there was a fair bit at the end too, especially when that, the combi van came out and stuff like that. Yeah, I would have preferred to have seen a ute, quite frankly, and a more Aussie vehicle with a surfboard and Susie hanging in the back. But, you know, the other thing too is that we have to get over that this opening ceremony was just for us. It wasn't. It's for the world. And, of course, when you get outside of Australia, it's actually not that big a deal 
that we've got beaches because a lot of countries in the world have beaches and have beach culture that's sometimes quite similar to ours. What's unique about our culture to overseas people is our Aboriginal heritage. And so if you're an international person watching that, you'll have a completely different view of it than Alan Jones is going to have. Yeah, yeah, and I thought that was all handled very well. It, it was it was great and it was the, very entertaining as well. It was, uh, I thought everything they did pretty was, was pretty good. The, I, I guess I got a, a little bit impatient by the um, the long procession of um, countries coming out during the athletes' march, but but I liked the facts they came up with about every country, which sort of kept you invested in what was happening. I agree. I thought the commentary uh, was good. Um, I thought the song choices, that Katie Noonan doing a bunch of unofficial Australian national anthems, as they call it, I thought that was inspired. Um, I just really, there were lots of things. But you're right. When, when those athletes started coming out, about halfway through I got up and started doing work <laughs> at the desk and just listened to the music and, and came back to see, you know, the Australian team come in. But then, but then when I heard that Jamaican beat coming and watched all those sort of, you know, African athletes dancing along to the music, I thought, actually, this is really cool. And I loved how Jane Kennedy tweeted, I'm loving how, you know, the Jamaicans are coming out to a reggae version of I Touch Myself. You know, there were, when you know the lyrics to some of those classic songs, there were some uh, moments of humour to be had. Yeah, and I, I saw a bit of criticism about My Island Home being sort of rolled out again, but then they there was a different version of it and they they played with the song a little bit. So, And I think you expect a lot of those classics to be there. That's a great song and that warrants another listen to. And Christine Arnoux is looking great these days and I didn't have a problem at all with including that. I thought it really, really fit in what they were doing for the night. Yeah, no, it was, it was good stuff. I just wonder if the games organisers had much pressure from Seven to get uh, Delta to do an Olivia Newton-Johnson. Well, they managed to get the plug in during the commentary, didn't they, that the Olivia mini-series was coming afterwards. And, I mean, the Sunday newspapers were rumouring that Delta and Olivia were going to do a duet together, which I thought would have been a, a bit of a hijacking of the games to promote a mini-series. Uh, so that turned out just to be a rumour and, and probably for the best too. Yeah. One thing that did a little not I look, I, just the the bug seven had on the corner of the screen, like live and free, that always annoys well, me. Particularly that, when you're going to stop for an ad break all the time, commercial break, commercial break, commercial break. I noticed that bug didn't say live and ad free. <laughs> and and also they're, they're, they're selling a, a premium package where you have to pay yes. to access the app. So that's not live and free. So I thought that was a bit awkward. Yeah, exactly. Say live, but don't say free when you're going to charge $19.95 to watch it in high definition. Jesus. Yeah, and, as, and you rightly point out, you've got to sit through all the ads, so it's it's not really free. Exactly. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and I just don't like bugs on the screen at the best of times, you know. It's... Just give me a free TV, you know, with free of any graphics and your plugs for other things. And, and I don't know. actually think we need to see a uh, backstage area of the Australian team getting off the bus, getting ready to line up while other athletes are coming in. It's like we're going to see them and they're going to be the biggest team yeah. here and they're going to get lots of close-ups. We really don't need to be cutting out the back to say, it's okay, they're coming, they're going to be here. Of course they were going to come, you know. Yes, and and I don't know if you saw it, but there were some very awkward sort of um, 
advertorial spots, I think, just before the ceremony started, like with, I think, Gian Rooney taking some people shopping. Oh, God, no, look, I, stuff like I that. made a was, and I noticed it was. I made a point of not switching on till 8 o'clock because I knew there was going to be an hour of bullshit on before it, and I thought, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm just not going to go there. Yes, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, we'll stick with Seven. The big news last week was that uh, Seven have lost the uh, tennis rights to the Australian Open and all the other tournaments that uh, play here or involve the Australian Isn't team. Isn't that massive, James? I mean, it feels like there's some real things going on with sports coverage in this country. I was astounded to read just a couple of hours ago that, you know, the, the head of Cricket Australia in the middle of the ball tampering scandal tells the head of CBS are you, the, the people that run your network are bottom feeders. It's like, whoa, that's just like a really nasty sort of thing to leak out there, you know. That's, but clearly we know that sporting rights are hugely important to Australian free-to-air networks because as audiences shrink for some of their other formats, um, live sport is crucial. And kind of, what are Seven going to do when they don't have after the tennis to promote all through January. <laughs> What's going to be their new tagline for January? Well, they're, they're probably hoping it'll be after the cricket. <laughs> yeah, probably um, hoping, yeah. But who's knows? It's interesting what you say about the the sort of leaks that are coming from the cricket rights negotiations. By contrast, that tennis was a sort of all done behind closed doors and it was just a surprise that, you know, Seven had lost the nine and picked it up. Whereas with the cricket, we sort of get leaks yeah. and sort of bits and pieces of rumours every few days, which uh, which I just find I don't think it's the best way to do it. Just, just do it all behind closed yeah, doors yeah. and tell us who's got it. Yeah, you know? and then, you know, I, I always laugh when I hear, you know, the, the head of tennis made some statement and said, oh, you know, this is uh, the best possible solution. And it's like she had this sort of phrase that, um, that was used and it was it was kind of like, oh, you mean it's the most money that you got? You know, don't make out that this is the best solution for everybody, that, the, you know, that you reinvented the wheel here. You basically went with, you know, the one that had the most hundred of millions of dollars, right? Sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, so we've yet to see what will happen with the cricket. But in the meantime, I think Seven's got one more summer of tennis and then it, that it flicks over to uh, the Nine wow. Network. and I mean, aren't Nine going to be if Nine are still part of any cricket package there? I mean, my God, where, where, when are they going to have the time? Yeah, you'd, you'd think so, and it's a be a massive investment. You've got to think, G7 are really going to be um, – I mean, they'll be saving yes. some money. Um, and you've got to think, well, they could do perhaps some exciting yeah. things – with that, that money, but um, live sport though it's um, it's pretty key, isn't it? To your um, particularly your live sport in January when people are in a relaxed frame of mind and summer. There's this thing here where we we sort of want to watch TV sports on summer. It's it's a massive viewing time for it, and uh, you know I I note that it's interesting, isn't it, James? That the Commonwealth Games coverage that they're now getting huge ratings from is happening in a non-ratings period. Yes, uh, yeah. The other networks yeah, don't even try to – don't even have to try to kind of compete against it. I'm wondering when does ratings start again? Does ratings start at the end of the Commonwealth Games? Is it that? No, it's right, right, right in, in the middle, that Sunday night. In the this middle. Sunday. Okay, gotcha. 
Correct. Yeah. So they get a week of it, so which they'll be able to sort of maximise. Yeah, one yeah, yeah. Now, look, we talked about uh, Sando um, last time we were together, probably a, a fortnight ago, just before Easter. I've got to admit, I still haven't caught up with it yet. But have you stuck? Yeah, stuck I haven't with caught it? up with last night's episode. But I really found the second episode absolutely hilarious. And then the other night at this dinner party, I sort of said that I've got a great tip for everybody, and everybody groaned and said, "Oh no, we watched the first one, we hated it. It was so sitcom. It was so obvious. It was so unbelievable." Um, look, you know, sometimes I get what they were saying. But sometimes I think particularly with comedy and sitcoms that you can, that is the one thing that shouldn't be that believable because it's comedy. You know, you can sometimes pl- exaggerate things and play things for laugh that, laughs that don't have to be grounded in reality. I, I, I'm just enjoying it. I, I think Sasha Hall is doing an amazingly hilarious performance in the lead role, which I was told at this dinner party was actually written for a man. That role was kind of meant to be a kind of a Jerry Norman kind of guy, but at the last minute someone at the ABC said, no, let's make her a woman. And then this person said to me, that's why I don't like the show. It's you never meet women that are like that really blokey and, you know, and walk out on their families and, you know, the mother walks out on the family and no one has a problem with it. But at the same time, I think it's being played for laughs and I actually am finding it highly amusing. Yep, oh, good on you, good on you. Now, we talked a little bit about Roseanne last time we were together too. I don't think Ten have actually released a screening um, day or day chat, but have you managed no, to I catch any of it? No, I haven't illegally downloaded any of it. I'm, I sit here every day and watch the Ten media site to see when can I watch that first episode because I, I assume they're putting it to air after the Commonwealth Games. I can't wait to see it, and I found – all the commentary from America so interesting because, of course, she's had, as, as Entertainment Tonight calls it, epic ratings. The ratings are just huge for it. And, of course, you had Trump jumping in and ringing her and congratulating her on the ratings. And no doubt in his head he's taking some credit for this because Roseanne's character in the show, like Roseanne in real life, is a Trump supporter. But, I mean... This is just a tiny, tiny element of the show. And if you think about great comedy, James, you need conflict in shows like that to actually find areas to mine laughs from. So it makes perfect sense to me that her character would be a Trump supporter. And, you know, I've been reading these articles from, you know, gay publications in America that have been saying we're boycotting the new Roseanne show. We're not going to watch this show where the character could possibly be a Trump supporter. And I'm thinking, are you guys for real? Do you not remember what she did for gay representation back in the mid-90s when it was nobody else was doing it? She didn't just have one gay token character. She had multiple gay characters in that show and she really pushed a liberal agenda there and it's happening on this new series as well. But people are so distracted by the fact that there was this theme scene in the first episode where she talked about Trump. People have lost their minds about it. Come on, Roseanne's always been batshit crazy in real life. And she was firing head writers constantly and all that drama with Tom Arnold. There was all sorts of behind-the-scenes drama on that show. Madness was happening all the time. But you know what, James? I think it says a lot that every single one of those cast members has come back to do this show again. She can't be that mad if everyone yes. still wants to work with her. No, for sure, for sure. And as I think the um, 
ratings for episode two held up quite well. I too. can't wait to see it, James. It was always one of my favourite sitcoms of that era, and and I can't wait to see uh, see them all back together. Yes, yeah. Um, the um, Wentworth. There's been a bit of news about Wentworth. Do you catch up that today? The new cast members. I did. Members? I was very excited to see Susie Porter in there playing a, a kind of an iconic character from Prisoner, Mari Winters, who was played by Maggie Miller in the original. Um, so they've gone back to the source material again. Susie Porter is going to be this sort of woman that sort of is uh, dealing in, you know, prostitution and all this stuff. Back in the old days, Mari Winter was a real came in and was really rough as guts and always wanted to be top dog and would, would go after B. Smith. Of course, Wentworth doesn't have a B. Smith anymore, but uh, I can't wait to see Susie Porter being um, a tough prison bitch now. It's like, oh, can't wait, can't wait because I love Susie Porter. Yeah, you've got to think if anyone will do um, a prisoner well, it'll be Susie Porter. Right? What about this news that, uh, the ABC will start screening Wentworth from season one on a, on a Thursday night. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, was it, James, that Foxtel were making a promise to their subscribers no original Foxtel drama production would – you'd have to subscribe to Foxtel to see it. You'd, unless you bought the DVD, you were never, ever going to see it. But here we are. Five years down the track, they're selling yeah. Wentworth. And I noticed uh, the other night that uh, Seven Plus were running an ad for you can watch these three original Home and Away events. Well, they were made for um, Foxtel and Seven's Presto. Uh, so that's online to yeah. watch for free now. And I bet you, you know, in a couple of years' time, we'll see a place to call home on Seven too. That's just, you know, they clearly need to make a little bit of money back and uh, they'll, they'll clearly have to stop saying that. Yes, yeah, no, no, that the um, the whole industry is changing pretty dramatically, isn't it? And I think we're going to see, um, but particularly we've talked about this before, I think Foxtel is going to be very different probably in maybe even 12 months' time to what the offer is. And there's is not a problem with that. I'm not complaining about this because um, Wentworth and A Place to Call Home and most of the dramas that Foxtel do are fantastic, better than most of the stuff on the free-to-air networks. So, yes, I'm all for a wider audience seeing it. Yeah. I mean, Wentworth's been a fantastic success story. They said today they've sold it to 141 different uh, international territories, which is isn't that staggering. Isn't it? There's a lot of Australian shows now that yeah. barely get sold to one overseas market. The fact that this show has done it and the fact that, that several of those countries have bought the rights to make their own versions and some of them are doing um, word-for-word script and, you know, recreating the sets down to the tiniest details just to remake it in their own language. So, you know, it's, uh, it's a format that has really, really sold well around the world. Yeah. One series I've got a feeling we'll probably never see on free-to-air is the new reboot of Lost uh, no. in Space. Netflix hold all their stuff really close to the chest. And, you know, James, Lost in Space, sci-fi, not really my thing. And, of course, I remember the original 60s series, High Camp, with, you know, people in bad vegetable outfits and just completely ridiculous. But if you think back to that first season of Lost in Space when it was filmed in black and white, it was it, it actually had a bit of a serious vibe to it. It was only when John, the mm. Dr Smith character sort of took over that it descended into 
farce and high camp. Then, of course, we had the movie reboot back in the mid-'90s with Matt LeBlanc. They tried a little bit of series there. It didn't really take off. So I approached this new Lost in Space thinking, oh, yeah, whatever, and then I've just been blown away by it, James. I've watched the first five episodes. It's amazing. It's so rich now. They've come up with such amazing backstories for all the characters. There's a lot of flashbacks. There's a lot of uh, the the characters are the same, but the dynamics of the family are quite different. It's very intense. And the, the Dr. Smith character is now being played by a woman, Parker Posey, and she's not just an annoying little troublemaker now. She is verging on sociopath. And it is just, oh, it is unbelievably good. It's, it's going to be the next big smash of Netflix. I have no doubt about that. So they don't play for laughs at all or try to God, no. There is none of that anymore now. This is high drama, high stakes, and you are on the edge of your seat sometimes wondering how they're going to get out of a bind they're in and terrified about what's going to happen in the future because no character is uh, black or white anymore. Everyone is all these different shades and are they, Is you know, are they going to turn at any point? It's just, there's just so much at stake in this new one. It's fantastic. Right, right. Yeah, The um, I, was, I was thinking back as you're talking there, I think Lost in Space, was it on... Uh, Network 10 or might have even been Channel Correct, it was. It It was a real uh, mainstay of the O10 network. Right, right. Okay. Good stuff. Um, Now, we've been waiting for a big event. Now, you're our our Aussie soap expert. So we've been waiting to see what would happen in Home and Away for their 30th anniversary year. Is it – it hasn't been and gone already, has it? I hope not, James, because – I even Googled this last night to, to, to get it through in my head. And, well, you know, they said, well, for our 30th anniversary, which they didn't really mark on the day, they were in the middle of tennis, whatever, I get it. And then the show came back and they said, oh, you know, we're going to, um, we've got this massive storyline for ALF. And this is how we're going to celebrate our 30th anniversary. And so the, what happened was Alf fell down a bloody sinkhole or something and thought he was going to die and revealed that his first wife, who is Rue's mother, played by Georgie Parker, was not dead, as he's yeah. been telling her the last 30 years. She was alive somewhere. So, of course, you know, off goes Rue looking for the mother. And the mother turned up the other week, played by Belinda Giblin, who's been in every soap from, you know, the Sullivans to the Box to Skyways to Sons and Daughters when she played Rowena Wallace with plastic surgery when she came back as the new Pat the Rat. So Linda Giblin turns up as Alf's long-lost wife and says, oh, well, you know, the reason I walked out 30 years ago is I was suffering uh, borderline personality disorder and nobody could understand what was wrong with me. And then the other night she just kind of left and it was like, oh, well, she's gone now. And I'm like, are you serious? Is that it? Is that their 30th anniversary story? Mind you, I watched it the other night for the full 90 minutes, that hour and a half, and the thing I noticed about Home and Away is that every single male character 
under the age of 30. So, of course, you've got, you know, the old stalwarts, Alf and, you know, Shane Withington and all that. So you've got those blokes. But then every male under the age of 30 is a hothead. They go from 1 to 10 within the blink of an eyelid. They're always swinging punches. It's every man in the show acts the same way. You're pulling them apart from having a Barney in literally every second scene. It's just so samey, samey, same. And this Belinda Giblin character, I'll tell you what, she'd better be coming back soon with something more powerful than what she did because if that's their 30th anniversary, then holy crap, they have missed a golden opportunity. Yeah, well, hopefully there's a bit to come, a bit more excitement um, to, for the year. God, we're well, only see, just they said they, they've got a new promo now after the games when Home and Away returns. They've got some new female character. I think her name was Elsa. They were referring to her as Cyclone Elsa, some girl with a grudge who's going to come in and put everyone in Summer Bay at risk. But again, I just went, well, we've seen that before, haven't we? How many female psychos have we had in Home and Away from Erica Haynats to the girl that blew up the caravan park to the girl that tried to kill Chris Hemsworth. I mean, this is another staple of Home and Away, psychotic women that have these grudges against everyone in the town and a blackmail. It's like, oh, my God, I've seen all that before as well. Yeah, I've seen that promo. Yeah, She's uh, yeah. sitting on the beach. Okay, good she? luck to them. But, yeah, it's all I, – I, there's just nothing in Home and Away that I haven't seen before. That's my issue with it. Neighbours is about to bring back Plain Jane Superbrain, played by Annie Jones, who, of course, was one of that original quartet with Kylie and Jason and Guy Pearce. Um, She's back. So the suggestion is that she's going to come back. She's been – the character's been off in London looking after Mrs Mangle all of these years. And the suggestion is that Plain Jane has turned into the new Mrs. Mangle and she's going to be coming back to Ramsey Street to be the new gossip, sticky beak, prudish character that has worked for them so well in the past. Was she in that uh, movie like no, special? No, she wasn't. She, she appears at the end of Friday night's episode and then in the links to next right. week she's kind of snooping around the neighbourhood looking through people's windows and the residents are saying, "Who does, does anyone know who this Annie is? What's her connection to this street? So uh, we'll have to wait and see there. They're, they're, they're going a bit slowly with this one. Um, last year we talked a little bit about Dynasty, I think, and I watched actually watched the first few episodes, thought it was all right, the reboot, yeah. reboot that's on Netflix. Now, is it – but. Did you you got well, into I it tried too? To. Didn't you? I was Eventually told or not? by people you've got to watch it. I didn't want to watch it because I didn't think it'd be as good as the original. And then the, these people said, "Please watch it. It's yeah. so great." And I watched about the first four or five, and I lost interest. And if you think back to the first Dynasty, the show was on the verge of cancellation when Aaron Spelling said, "We've got to do something." He brought in Joan Collins as Alexis Carrington, and it, the ratings skyrocketed, saved the show, and it became a phenomenon. Well, the exact same thing has happened again. Mind you, it took Dynasty 13 episodes in season one to realise they need to spice things up. This latest Dynasty that's been churning along for 17 episodes, it got down to 500,000 viewers in the US on the CW, which is under a million viewers, for God's sake. And you'd think that that show, it's an expensive show to make, would be headed for the scrap heap but they have brought in their Alexis Carrington finally and she's played by Nicolette Sheridan who 
You was on Knots Landing oh. and Desperate Housewives. This is her third oh. iconic soap role. And the wardrobe for Alexis is just, it's, she's like this kind of someone who's gotten hold of the new Gucci catalogue, but she wants to hang out backstage at a, an Aerosmith concert. It's really out there. The, lo- the dialogue is bitchy. And the uh, ratings shot up so high that the CW renewed it for a second season the other day. Apparently the show does really, really well. on. It's released on Netflix everywhere in the world but America, and Netflix, it's, it's going off. And uh, I reckon Nicola Sheridan's going to – stepping into Joan Collins' shoes. Big shoes to fill, but she's pulled it off in my book. Well, that's that's good news. I've always oh, been a bit of a fan. You've got of to watch last Friday's so episode I'll, on Netflix. Is I was rewinding it back and forth again. Like, did she just say that? Oh my god! Back and forth. I was watching it. I watched it over and over again. It was really, really uh, high camp, but in a good way. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all good stuff. Look, I've got a few things I wanted to run run through before we sort of wind up today. I'm, I, I talk. I talk. Well, I've talked a lot in a lot of these podcasts about billions, yes. and we mentioned it last time. How it was coming back. Our uh, season three uh, was returning. I've just seen the first yeah. one. That's just fantastic, Dave Barn. I, I compare it to. It's still up there. The high standard. Sorry, say that again. Yeah, it is. Look, at, at times they almost overdo it. I mean, the writing is so good, but they they, they really go out there. I mean, they one of the characters was quoting some lines from Top Gun in this this first episode, which was pretty clever. And um, just just some of the just some of the dialogue really good. But you know, do they go too far? Well, can you go too far on a TV drama like that, which is which is about big unreal yeah. sort of characters anyway? Probably not. But it, it's just look, it's a lot of fun. And some of the stuff that happens in that first episode, I mean, Damien Lewis plays the uh, Axel, um, Bobby Axelrod, the big sort of, um, sort of the the investor, the stockbroker, the um, fund manager that sort of bends the rules as far as they could possibly go. He's been, he's caught up the... Um, the sort of federal authorities have been after him the whole every season and they've sort of seized all his funds and frozen it. Right. That's where this season starts. So there's 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 lots of good stuff to come, I think. So yeah, that that looks really good. And it's I mean I I, I have to stop myself getting a pen and writing down some of the dialogue sometimes. It's just so it's just so funny and so clever. Some a few viewing notes of things that well I, I wanted to mention show me the movie. The um, Rove. I don't know if we we might have mentioned it last time, but I don't think it had started, and we probably hadn't seen one. But I'm quite liking it. You know, I've sort of I've, I've had it on in the background, to be honest. Those first two, but I, I love the questions and the quiz, and I I love the set. They've done such a good job. Well, no, I, so I haven't noticed the set, but I've noticed that the games they've come up with to play. Uh, it's that sort of working for me. I think it's it's. Uh, it's the right mix of people. Of course, it's, you know, comedian heavy again, which those shows always are. But I, I'm really appreciating that they've put yeah. Jane Harbour in there, an actress, instead of just another comedian to, you know, captain up the team. That's working for me. And, uh, yeah, I just think that some of the silly games yeah. they've done, it's a little bit talking about your generation in that respect. It is. I love the sort of byplay between yes. uh, Jane Harbour and Joel Creasy. It's very funny, their little 
digs at each other. And when I say the set, I talk about they've got that great big screen behind them, which, of course, makes sense if you're talking about movies. But it's just very simple. The set doesn't And you can dominate. see everybody's legs and shoes good. too, which you don't see a lot on TV. You're sitting at tables instead of desks <laughs> that keep, you know, all of that stuff hidden. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. They're sort of, yeah, you can see them uh, just sitting there. But, look, if you haven't seen that, I think it's worth checking out. And if, you be, if you're a movie fan at all, you're going to find um, stuff to laugh at, maybe go along and, and try to remember some yeah, of the, yeah, yeah. Um, no, the I, questions I, I, I've, I've enjoyed what I've seen. Uh, look, coming to BBC First later this month, a series called oh, Gunpowder. Yeah. Um, sort of it's making a few ways because of its uh, lead character is none other than Kit Harrington who's certainly probably become one of the most famous actors in the world because of his role yes, in as John Snow in Game of Thrones. Now, this is screened in the UK already? Um, I think it has, yeah. It's only three parts, and it's sort of it's the story of Guy Fawkes, who they're calling sort of um, Britain's yes, first yes. Tried to terrorism. blow up Parliament House, did he? Correct, yes, yes. Was it, was it November 5? We used to have Guy Fawkes so Night. It doesn't really exist it. anymore, They still have it in it, the but... UK, though, because on EastEnders and Corrie, you still they get to that thing where they're having, you know, crack and night. Yeah, yeah. I, I went to some great and, you know, the crack and night sequence in Stephen Elliott's film Swinging Safari set in the 70s was my favourite part of the whole film. The madness of these kids, like, throwing giant bungers at each other. My God, I pissed myself laughing. <laughs> it brings back some memories too, doesn't it? It was um, – it got to be quite dangerous, which is, I think, why I probably stopped, you know, with people up yeah. blowing themselves up and stuff like that. But um, – but um, it used to be a lot of fun setting off the old the So much fun. But, you know, talking about, you're talking about Gunpowder, a British TV series. The other thing we should have mentioned too is yeah. that the night that Wentworth begins on the ABC on the Thursday night, there's a new British series on before it called Kiri, K-I-R-I, and it stars our favourite from Happy Valley, Sarah, Sarah Lancashire. Yep, look, absolutely. I, I, it was going to be next on my list here of a... A couple of notes I've uh, I've jotted Doesn't down. It? Yeah, look, this one looks really good, and and it's it's not going to be on BBC Correct. first because yep. it was on Channel Four in the UK. So so the ABC's been able to buy it, put it on straight away. It's, it hasn't been oh. on long long ago over in the UK. The there's bad news only is I four, think there's only four right. episodes. Uh, one of the interesting things was written by somebody called Jack Thorne, who's got a bit of a um, reputation as a, as a great TV screenwriter. He did um, the last thing he did, I think, that I saw was National oh, Treasure, yeah, that I series of Robbie, Robbie Coltrane and Julie Walters. That was really great. Yeah, that was excellent. So I'm really looking forward to that. So that's, I think it's April, is it April 17? It, it, it is. Even it's next week. that Wentworth begins, you've got a, a really yeah. strong. Um, two hours of drama on the ABC that night. Yeah, yeah. So, so watch out for that. Um, couple of I've, there's we've talked before about series we've 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 overlooked because we just don't have time to watch everything. One of the oh, ones yeah. on my list is The Americans, which I've never ever seen. Somebody I know very well tries to get me to watch it all the time, but I just haven't been able to fit it in. Um, so the final season is about to start on Showcase. That starts next week, too, yeah. I think, April 18. So watch they're, out for that They're one. Russian spies, aren't they, they, living in America, uh, coming across as Americans, but uh, both of them it. are full-on uh, Russian spies. With teenage kids that over the course of the series yeah, have discovered yeah. uh, the true identity. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a, it's a great series and it's just... 
it's always got rave reviews. And I'm wondering there's some brilliant artwork for this final series too, sort of a retro I've seen poster. It and it's one of those shows that gets mentioned so all the, every year. Whenever they do the Emmy nominations, people say that the Americans has been overlooked yet again, you know, so a lot of fans for it out there. Yeah, look, absolutely, absolutely. Um, two, two other things on my list was the – the Zen Diaries. It's right. A You're the second Gary person Shandling. to have told me about that this week. Okay, yeah, two-part doco. Uh, it's HBO in the US, which would normally mean it goes to showcase here, but I've been checking with Foxtel and they said they're right. – they, I don't think right. they've actually picked it up yet. Well, they haven't been – they haven't I confirmed. Thought, I thought they used to say that they were the home yet, of so HBO. Hang on. Yeah, well, maybe that's changed, you know, because because this is the sort of show that I'm sure it's going to be excellent, but it's no. it's not going to no. Have well, if a you big if I seem here, to remember the Gary Shandling show, I never really got into the Gary Shandling show. I was much more on board with the Larry Sanders show, which to me felt like it had a lot of elements yes. of the Gary yep. Shandling show in it. Would that be correct to say? Yeah, it yeah, was I on think a lot right. of those channels, channels really, really late day. at night. Maybe it was Channel. All I know is it was back in those days when all those really great first kind of genre-busting cable American shows, the Australian networks always put them on at like 10.50 p.m. on a Monday night. This Look, this is, if you get a chance to see it, it's, um, I think it's four hours all up, so it's a fair bit to um, to get through. But there's like 40 as part, of, there's lots of clips of uh, Shandling at all different stages of your career. And there's 40 interviews with um, family and friends, people like uh, James L. Brooks, Jim Carey, Sasha Baron Cohen, um, Jay Leno, of course, Conan O'Brien, uh, Jerry Seinfeld and Sarah Silverman, just among those people interviewed. Um, if you go to the HBO website, they've got quite a few little clips, sort of bonus content of Shandling up there. I watched a few of them uh, earlier today. Gee, that's some funny yeah, stuff. Yeah, you sort totally. of forget how good this guy was. Um, finally, look, we've both got dogs, uh, haven't we, Andrew? We've both proud uh, And mine's proud staring at me right now going... What the hell? Uh, I should have been taken for a walk an hour ago. He's just staring, staring, staring. Well, mine's sitting at my feet. Yeah. Once it's walked and once Don't it's Don't say that so D-word, James. Don't say long, that loud. There's a series. This is the second series. I just came across it today. It's on, um, I think it's on really? Lifestyle. It's called Walks With My Dog. Huh? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's another Channel 4 show from the UK, and this is where celebrities oh go on a walk with their dog. The I mean, wow. Well, I think they go through oh. like a picturesque part of the UK countryside. It could be a park or, a, you know, a, a well-known walking track or something. There's about, there's a, I think, three celebrities each episode. So there's about, oh, you get wow. about 15 minutes with each person. 12 to 15 minutes, so you hear a little bit about their relationship with the dog and you get to see the countryside. So, anyway, I'm going to check it out and see what it's like. I haven't seen one yet, but um, you know, <laughs> yes, maybe there's an idea I for a show. The last time we've had a dog show was, well, there was sort of like celebrity dog school. I seem to recall Larry Emder trying to get people, and I think Guyton Grantley does something with dogs on Channel 10 show on the weekend. He's, he's, um, <laughs> Pooch is a play, it's called. It's, it's on that. Uh, Networked yeah. on um, Saturday afternoon. All right, Andrew, look, let's leave it there. Um, hope there weren't too many glitches with that audio. We sort of dropped out a couple of times, but I think it was pretty good. So, yeah, look, we'll, um, we'll be back again in a fortnight's time.